0: How many of you like to give good news to people? Yeah, if you have good news, you can hardly tell. Once in a while, you meet someone who likes to give bad news. But I don't like to give bad news, and I don't have any bad news today, unless you need it. And then I'll get someone else to give it to you. <laughs> I want to tell you what my definition of preaching is. How many have heard my definition of preaching? I've told it to some of you. My definition of preaching is it's one beggar telling tell another beggar where to find food. And I'm in the same boat that everybody else is in. And when I find something that feeds me, I want to share it with you. And one of the texts in the Bible that has done more to, fee- to feed me and given me the words to feed other people is the text that was just read, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. And last Sabbath, I started preaching on it and didn't get done. And someone says, Pastor, you've got to finish Titus 3, so I will do so. But I've got to tell you a story first. I know there's a couple of people here who've been call porters. I used to do that. I met my wife when I was called portering. She wasn't my wife then, but she became my wife two years later. But anyway, I remember one day I was call portering in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, I had picked out a, a square 10 blocks by 10 blocks, and that was my goal for that summer to reach all the houses in that 10 square blocks. And I was knocking on doors, and I'm not a pushy person, and uh, I wasn't even getting in people's houses. They saw my case, and I would say what I was doing, and they would, even before I'd get done, they'd just shake their head no. So I thought, well, at least they should know what I'm doing. So I took volume nine of the Bible stories out, has a picture of Jesus with children on his lap. And then when they came to the door, they could see the book. At least they knew what I was doing, and they could intelligently say, we're not interested And I had been for three days. Not only had I not made a sale, I hadn't even been in anybody's house yet. I hadn't even made a canvas. And I went up to a house, and I was getting used to being told no. It kind of makes you hard. I knocked on the door, and the man came to the door. It was about 6 o'clock in the evening. And I could tell I wasn't going to get in there because he was tying his tie, and he was in a hurry. And he looked at me, and he looked at the books, and he says, are you selling those books? I says, I don't know. And he kept on tiny tiny. He says, Well, if you are, we want to get a set for our children. He says, We've been looking for three years. We see them in the doctor's office, but there's never a card in it. The card's already gone. He says, But we're in a hurry tonight. Will you come back tomorrow night? And I said, Yes, I will. And as I started to go, he says, Just a minute, I want your phone number. If you don't show up, I'm gonna call you. And I thought, mister, you don't know what's going on here. But I gave him my phone number. I started leaving again. He says, just a minute, If I, I want your address. If I don't, can't get you on the phone, I'm going to come over. I'm going to sit on your front porch till you come home because we want to sell those books. And I thought, this is funny. So I gave him my address. I started to leave again. He says, just a minute, let me draw a map from where I am to where you are. And he says, all right, my phone number. And he says, you can follow this map. And he says, if you can't find me, you tell me where you are, and I will come and get you. And I thought, I could have already written up a, a sales thing and given you the books ready. <laughs> but I went back the next night and I gave those people the best canvas on the books that I've ever given anybody. Do you know why I gave them such a good canvas? Why? Because I knew I was going to succeed. And you see, I wouldn't have had to give a canvas all. All I had to take was go get his money and give him the books. That's all I had to done. But when there's something that you are doing... And you know that you are going to succeed at it. You go at it with enthusiasm. Don't you? I can do this. And that story will help you understand. Why I preach the way I preach. Because there was a time in my life. When I thought the way to make people be good. Is to bribe them or to scare them. Which a lot of people's religions are that way. If, I, if I'm really good and I do a really good job. I might get to go to heaven. But if I don't. I'm going to be punished. And there is a place for that kind of understanding. But that's for people like the people in Nineveh who aren't paying attention to God. And sometimes God has to slap you around to get you to pay attention. But the only reason, as you've often heard me say is, some of you heard me say it, the only reason that God gives you a bad day is because he's trying to get you to be interested in his good eternity. Amen? And I will say that to you often. And so what you are going to hear me say, as long as I'm allowed to be in this pulpit... All you're going to hear me talk about is Jesus wants you in heaven. Amen? Amen? And one of my favorite texts, of course, this is in Titus 3, but another one that is the key to getting inside of Pastor Stoffer's head is found in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. And it says, Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. And I used to think I had to make people be pure, but I found out all I have to do is help people get hope inside of them, and that hope is going to cause them to want to be pure and give them the strength to be pure. Amen? Amen? Now, how many have ever heard the song that says, Behold, what manner of love the Father's given unto us? Okay, let's sing it. That's 1 John 3, chapter 1. I'm going to get you the tune, then I'm going to take you to verse 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father's given unto us. Behold, what manner of love the Father's given unto us. That we should be called the sons of God that we should be called the sons of God. Now you've got the tune. Open your Bible to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3, which is just two verses later. And uh, I feel sorry for the people listening to this on the uh, internet because the only voice they can hear is mine. So sing good and loud to give them some relief. But 1 John 3, 3 in the King James says, Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. Even as he is pure. Even as he is pure. So I look upon my job is not to make people good. My job is to help people have hope. And knowing that this text is true, everybody who has hope in him, he's going to have a desire. I want to be like Jesus. Amen? Now, turn to Titus chapter 3, because what I have discovered in Titus chapter 3 are eight little short messages that if you will think of these things all the time, according to verse 8, look at verse 8, Titus 3 verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm, how often? How often? How often constantly? All the time. And if you are a born-again Christian and you affirm these things constantly, what will be the result in your life? What does it say? You will be careful to maintain good works. And you know what careful is, don't you? If a guy is going to do surgery on your eye, you want him to be careful, right? You want him to do the best job, better job than what he's capable of. And you see, if you affirm these eight things constantly and you have been a believer in Jesus Christ, you will discover that it gives you the desire and the strength to do even better than what you are capable of. Amen? Amen. Now, last week, I gave you the first three verses. I'm going to review them very shortly. Verse 1, if you're going to be a successful Christian, in verse 3, point 1, verse 3 says, the one thing you've got to remember all the time is you need Jesus. How many of you know you need Jesus? There's no way in the world ever that you can ever save yourself no matter how long and how hard you try outside of the death of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. You'll never get to heaven. Amen? Amen. And that's what point one in verse three says. We also have been sinful, serving diverse lusts, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. All that is bad news. Amen? Amen. But anybody who is honest with themselves will recognize that's me. Amen? Yeah. That's me. And then you come to verse 2, which is a beautiful verse in its context. And I like the way it says in the King James. But after that, after what? The hate, the greed, the lust, the envy, all the bad stuff. After that, the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. You cannot be bad enough to make God stop loving you. Amen? Amen? In fact, when he finally destroys the wicked, the Bible says that's God's strange act. Because God didn't want to do it. I had to shoot a dog once. How many think I enjoyed shooting that dog? I didn't. The only reason I did it is because that dog was going to die in a few hours anyway, and I was just cutting short his misery. And so when God destroys the wicked, he's only putting them out of their misery. Amen? Amen. All right. So that's point number two, God loves you. How often should you affirm that God loves you? And when should you affirm that God loves you? All the time, but especially if you feel yourself that you're falling away and sinning, you got to remind yourself, but he still loves me. Amen? Now, you can take advantage of that, and that's dangerous, or you can let it soften your heart and make you strong. Amen? Now, the third point is found in verse 5. We've done verse 3 and 4. Now we're ready for verse 5. And verse 5 says, strange words, "...not by works of righteousness which we have done," But according to what do he, does he save us? Mercy. He saves us by mercy. And uh, several people heard me say this when they came in. and Anybody who's talked to me privately will hear me say the same thing. But people say, how are you? And I will say, the members of the Fox Valley Seventh Adventist Church don't treat me the way I deserve. <gasps> Everybody says, oh, what's that? I said, oh, that's good. Because you see... I read in a book called Desire of Ages, it says Jesus was treated the way that we deserve. And you look at Calvary and you think, is that the way I deserve? It is. Because all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is what? It's death. So if you were to treat me the way I deserve, I'd be dead and you'd go to jail. Because that's called cruel and unusual punishment. And this country, they don't allow that. Right? And so anytime that you feel that you're not being traded fair, you can get a big smile on your face, and say, "Praise the Lord, I don't want to be treated fair. I don't want to be treated with mercy." Amen." Yes. And that is the only reason that there will be anybody in heaven because there won't be anybody in heaven who's going to say, "I'm here because I was good enough." I said this last two weeks ago, didn't I? All of the people, according to the Bible, who think they deserve to go to heaven, are going to be in the other place. And the only people who are going to be to the heavens are the ones who knew they didn't deserve it. And they fell at the feet of Jesus at the cross and said, Lord, just like the thief on the cross, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to that man? You'll be with me in paradise. And you see what the man had said is to the other thief, Don't you fear God seeing you are in the same condemnation and we indeed what? Justly. That man, the man who was saved says, here I am, nailed to a cross, and I'm dying, and I'm being treated the way that I deserve. But Jesus doesn't deserve it. He's dying for me, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. And what started out to be the worst day of the man's life turned out to be the best day of the man's life. Amen? Amen. And so if you need to have a few bad days, I hope you get them, because God wants to give you a good eternity. Amen? So I'm not going to wish you a good happy Sabbath. I'm going to wish you a good eternity. And if you need a bad Sabbath to get a good eternity, I hope you get a bad Sabbath. Amen? All right. Now we're ready for the last half of verse 5, which I didn't give you last week. And that is taken from, well, the text there, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy saves us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. When you recognize you're a sinner, and you're sick and tired of being a sinner, and then you look at Jesus and see his love written all over your face, and then you recognize that he's going to save you, not because of your good works, but because of your mercy. That love changes your heart. And Jesus calls it in Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 3, says, you must be born again. And a couple verses later, he says it again. Except a man be born of the water spirit, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if you want to look it up real quick, that text says, if a man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. Now, I hear people talking about the new covenant, and they say, the new covenant we were saved by grace. We don't have to keep the law. But when you go to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, it will give you a definition of the new covenant, And God says, I make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the covenant I made which they break, but a new covenant. I will write my law in their hearts and they will be my people and I will be their God. Now, how many are ready to sing another song? Go back to the book of Psalms, chapter 40 and verse 8. Psalms 40 and verse 8. Now, you don't know this one. And since I don't want to sing it alone, I'm make my wife come up here. Yes, I'm, I'm here to speak, but my wife is here for looks and sing. And I want you to look at this verse. While she's coming up, I hope I gave you the right verse. Psalms 40 and verse 8. Isn't that the one that says, I delight to do thy will, O my God? Yea, thy what? Law. Law is written in my heart. And the new covenant, according to Hebrews 8, verse 10, the new covenant is God changing our heart, writing His law in our heart. Amen? Yeah. All right. And I want you to learn to sing this just as quick as you can out of self-defense. Are you ready? I, uh, your Psalms 40, verse 8. Is that the right verse? Yeah. Sing it with me. I'd like I'd to do, do Thy will, O oh my God. God. I'd, I'd like, like to do, do thy, thy will, O oh my God. God. Yea, thy laws within my heart, yea, thy laws within my heart, that's why I delight to do thy will. Now, again, I'd like to do thy will, O oh my God, I'd like to do thy will, O oh my God. Yea, thy laws within my heart, yea, thy laws within my heart, that's why I delight to do thy will. Now, do you know what the new covenant is? It's being born again. It's being a new creature. It's letting God write his law in your heart so that before you had to keep the law. And when he writes the law in your heart, you want to. Now I'll let you sit on the front row for the next song. Or you can sit back here if you like. But how many of you have ever done anything that when you get done and somebody says, how was it? You say, it was delightful. Amen. Now, if you do something, and when you get done, and you say to someone, it was delightful, are you going to want her to do it again? Is there a chance that they might want to do it too? And I've read in a book called Steps to Christ, the last chapter is called Rejoicing in the Lord. And it says, and I can't remember the exact quote here, but it says, There are some Christians who make the Christian life look toilsome and difficult. And in this, they give a false testimony to our Savior and agree with Satan. Now, there are difficulties, but the difficulty is saying, I'd rather have Jesus than my sins. And you struggle to give up, to let Jesus take your sins. But once you start enjoying the Christian life and you start moving into mature Christianity, the last chapter of Steps to Christ is what? Rejoicing in the Lord. That is where God wants us to live. You may have to go through the hard... All Christians have to go through the hard time. Look at what the thief had to go through to get to Jesus. But once you get to Jesus... Whatever you went through to get there... All the suffering the thief went through... Was worth it. Amen? Because it's better to get to Jesus... By being nailed on a cross... Than never to get to Jesus at all. Amen? All right. So point number... Whichever it is... In the last part of verse 4... He will change you. And people say, well, I'd like to be a Christian, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. I can't live this way. I says, if you will affirm constantly that you need Jesus and you're a sinner, but that he loves you and he saves you by his mercy, you'll discover God's truth will change your heart. It'll write in your heart. And you'll discover that doing God's will gives you more pleasure and more delight than serving sin ever did. Amen? And then when you get into the next verse, verse 6, It's still the continuation of the last part of verse 5. It says, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the companionship of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And when you are in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you are in the presence of God. And let me tell you something about the presence of God. No, I won't. This is another text. Oh, I can't remember it right now. I can sing it, but I can't remember it. But it's in Psalms 1611. In thy presence, O Lord, how many know this text, is fullness of joy? At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. How many like to be in a place where there's fullness of joy? Well, that's why God says, give up this and this and this, because it keeps you from being where I am. And in his presence is fullness of joy. How many are there in Psalm 1611? Did I give you the right text? All right. I need my wife back up here because we're going to sing this one. You know, I've discovered if I try to memorize a text, I can't. But if I try to sing it, boy, three or four times, I've got it. All right? Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, at thy right hand, are pleasures forevermore. So you see? Thank you. The reason that God wants us to have the Holy Spirit is because when we have the Holy Spirit, we are in the presence of God. Didn't Jesus say in, in the last sermon that he preached at the, to the disciples' last supper, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you? And he says, it's essential that I go away. If I go not away, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I, if I go, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will be with you. I will be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Now, isn't that a good reason to do away with sin? Because it lets you abide in the presence of Jesus, and there's fullness of joy there. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So we've done several points now. Point number one is what? I am a sinner and I need Jesus. Point number two, Jesus loves me. He loves sinners and I'm a sinner and he loves me. Point number three, Jesus saves me. Not because I'm worthy, not because of any good thing I've done. Jesus saves me because he has mercy. Point number four, he changes me. He sends the Holy Spirit to be my companion and changes my heart and writes his law in my heart so I delight to do his will. Are you still with me? Are you ready for the next point? Whichever one it is, it's in verse 7. And there are four points in verse 7. And I will spend most of the rest of this sermon on those four points because they are so good. But point number one says, therefore being what? I want to hear the word justified. Therefore being justified. Now I want you to understand what the word justified means and there's an easy way to remember it. If you will say the word justified very, very slowly and emphasize each syllable as this is a word in itself and then at the end add never sinned. Try that. Did you get it? Just if I'd never sinned. Now from the book steps to Christ there's a chapter that's called Faith and Acceptance. And in that chapter is what this preacher considers one of the most beautiful things that Ellen White ever wrote. And here it is. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, then no matter how sinful your past life may have been, for Christ's sake, you are accounted righteous because Christ's character stands in place of your character and you are accepted before God as though you had never sinned. How many of you, Would like to be in the judgment right now. We studied about judgment this morning. But how many like to be in the judgment right now if Jesus is your savior? Because if Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, the moment that you accepted Jesus as your Savior, God took Jesus' righteousness, his character, and he put it by your name, and he took all your sins and he put it on Jesus' name, and Jesus died because of our sins. And when you accept him, he accounts you righteous and you stand before God as though you had never sinned. Can you think of a more wonderful thought than that? Than appearing before the judgment and God looks at you and he says, I can't see that this person ever did anything wrong ever. God can look at you that way as you are accepting Jesus. Now how many can see why I say this is a faithful saying? I don't say that the Bible says. This is a faithful saying and I want you to affirm these things how often? Constantly. Constantly. Now, there's some people think the way to make church members be good is to keep scaring them all the time. And I've already told you there's a place for fear, right? The people in Nineveh, they needed to be afraid. And if you're turning your back on God, you've got all the reason in the world to be afraid, and I've got sermons to make you afraid. But all that fear will do is drive you to Jesus, and if you need to come to Jesus, I hope you get whatever you need. But the sermon I'm preaching today is for people who want to do what's right, who wish they could, are sick and tired of failure. I'm preaching to you, if you're sick and tired of failure, I'm telling you what to do. Affirm these things constantly so that those who have believed in God will be careful to do what? Maintain good works. Now, if you want to write some notes in your Bible on this sermon, right there by Titus 3, verse 6, by the word justified, write Isaiah 53 and verse 6, and we're going to sing this one. Now you know this one. You know the tune anyway. How many know how to sing the song in Psalms 25 that says, What does Psalms 25 say? I can remember Isaiah 53. Uh, Anyway, I'll do Isaiah 53 and you'll catch on. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep. All we like sheep. Have gone astray. Have gone astray. All we like sheep. All we like sheep. Have gone astray. And the, has laid and the Lord has laid. My sins on Him. Sins on him. All and the Lord, Lord has laid, laid on Him the iniquities of us, us all. We have, we have turned everyone to His own way. His own way. We have turned everyone, have turned everyone to, his to His own way. And the Lord has laid. My sins, on him. my sins on him. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. I want you to affirm that constantly. Would you? All we like sheep have gone astray. I'm done now. You can come back. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. And what's the Father done? He's laid all my sins on Jesus. And when you accept Jesus as your Savior, God takes all of Jesus' righteousness and lays it on you. How many here, at one time or another in your life, have ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? How many of you, since you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, have failed him? How in the world are you ever going to stop failing him? Affirm these things constantly. And come back to Jesus the second time, the third time, the fourth time. How many other times you need to come back? Just like you did the first time and say, Lord, I am a sinner and I am so sick of it. I confess my sins and I accept Jesus as my Savior again. And then start rejoicing because the Father will take that sin. He'll lay it on his Son and Jesus will suffer. And God will accept you as though you'd never sinned. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will let you affirm how often? Constantly, So that those who have believed in God will be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto man. The next point in verse 8 is by his grace. And I don't need to say a lot about grace because it's very like laying my sins. But grace is being treated good when you deserve to be treated bad. And that is why I will say to you when you ask me how are you, I will say I'm not being treated the way I deserve because what I deserve is to be crucified. And Jesus has already done that for me. And that's what grace is. Jesus does not treat sinners the way they deserve if he will just let them do that. He wants to save people. And I said two weeks ago when I was here, how many of you had the courage to go up to someone and say, I know something about you? And they say, what's that? God wants you in heaven. Now, somebody tried it and says the people didn't like it. How many of you tried it and found out they didn't like it? Oh, did anybody try it and found out they did like it? Is there only one who tried it? I'll embarrass you. See, I don't believe in righteousness by embarrassment. I only believe in righteousness by faith. But once in a while, i use embarrassment to get you to do something that when you do it, you say, oh, I'm glad I did that. All right. Grace. I'm being treated good when I deserve to be treated bad. That's how we're saved. We deserve to be treated bad, but God wants to treat us good. Now. Next point in that is, therefore being justified by his grace, we are made heirs. How many know what an heir is? It's H-E-I-R. It's not what you breathe there. It's H-E-I-R. What's an heir? That's the root word for inherit. All right? And that's usually a relative, most often a son. And so what this text is saying is, since he has justified us and we don't deserve it, and he treats us good when we don't deserve to be treated good, he makes us his children. And we sang that one a little bit ago, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, what? That we should be called the sons of God. If you look at verse 2 in First John chapter 3, it says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. A lot of people think I can't be a son of God until I'm everything I should be. But when you look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Now we are the sons of God. And nobody can even see, except God, what we're going to be. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. Right? You you know you're not what you ought to be. And you think, well, I can't rejoice. I'm his son until I'm what I ought to be. You can't be what you ought to be until you rejoice in that you are God's child. Amen? That your name is written in his book. Did we sing that last week? Well, if your name is in the book, he's his child. We're going to do it again. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love. Now, we've already sang that one. I'm singing the wrong song. Singing the wrong song. What's the one I want to sing? Philippians 4.4. Here we go. Come up and help me again. She's going to think she's been to the gym today as much as I make her go up and down. Philippians 4.4. How many know that rejoice in the Lord? Did we do this when I was here two weeks ago? Because as you look at the last three words of verse 3, it tells you what to rejoice about. Because we sing that song, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, we get down and we think, what do I rejoice about? Well, rejoice that we have food. We rejoice that we're hurt, killed of, healed of cancer. We rejoice that we have a job. That's not what it says. You can rejoice about that, and that's good. But the thing it says rejoice about is that my name is in his book. That's verse 3, the last few words. Rejoice in the Lord always. My name is in his book. Rejoice in the Lord always, my name is in his book. Rejoice, rejoice, my name is in his book. Rejoice, rejoice, my name is in his book. Now that makes you smile when you think that. I don't deserve my name in this book, but Jesus got his name in the book of death and he put my name in the book of life. Amen? And you can rejoice about that because when your name in this book, you are God's child. Amen? And that's what verse 8, the third point of verse 8 says. We're, he treats us good when we deserve to be treated bad. He accepts us as though we'd never sinned. And he says, you are my child. You my, are my heir. And what is it that God's heirs inherit? What? Gold and silver, billions of dollars? Is that what God's children inherit? They inherit something that the only thing that can buy it is Jesus' blood. And the gift of God is what? Eternal life. And there's a place in the writings of Ellen White, and if you want to write it down, I'll give you the page, 373. And the title of that chapter, I wouldn't read the chapter for years because it says, perfect obedience in Christ. And I said, if I read that, I'll get discouraged because I can't do that. So I wouldn't read it. And one day, a friend of mine wrote a book, and he put a quote in from that chapter. So I read it because I didn't know what the chapter said. Now, how many have ever heard that Ellen White says it's a dangerous thing to say, I am saved? It's right here, 373, Selected Messages, Volume 1, 373. It says, there's a danger in taking the position that many take in saying, I am saved. How many have heard that or something like that? And we think, well, if it's dangerous to say it, then you don't want anything to do with it. Because I've met people say, I'm saved by grace, so I don't have to be obedient. Oh, that's bad doctrine. How many know Satan will make a good doctrine look bad? So that you don't believe it. How many like to hear what that whole sentence is? Because that quote that I gave you, there's a danger in taking the position that many take and saying I'm saved. How many like to hear the whole sentence? Here's the whole sentence: It is essential to have faith in Jesus and to believe that you are saved in him, Semicolon. But there's a danger in taking the position that many take and saying, I am saved. And Ellen White talks on both sides of that question, just like she puts the whole thing in one sentence. And that one sentence will basically tell you everything that Ellen White says on that subject. It's dangerous to say it because you think, oh, I don't need to do anymore. That's a legalist. But it's essential to know it. Why is it essential to know it? Well, the title up above is Perfect Obedience in Christ. And you see, if you're obedience, no matter how good it is, if you're doing it because you're trying to earn your salvation, it's never perfect. How many like to have people nice to you? Anybody here like to have people nice to you? Yeah, I like to have people nice to me. How many like to have people nice to you only to find out later they're doing it for ulterior motives because they wanted to get something out of you? Then you want to see to them, I'd rather you're not have done it at all. Am I right? Now I got a whole sermon on this. I won't preach it all right now. But you see, the reason that God writes 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, I've written these things to you who believe on his name so you can know you have eternal life. I thought if I knew I had eternal life, I'd quit being be good. That came out wrong, but you understand, right? If I knew I was going to be saved, why keep being good? But you see, Jesus can point to his remnant people and say, they know that I'm going to save them. And it hasn't interfered with their obedience at all. They're obeying me even more out of pure joy and gratitude. Am I right? And that's why God, in that last part of verse 7 in Titus 3, says, You become heirs according to what? The hope of eternal life. And you see, in order to have perfect obedience, the only way you can possibly have perfect obedience is that you are rejoicing That when Jesus comes, unworthy as I am, he's going to take me anyway. And when the angel comes and takes me by the hand, I'm going to say, I don't deserve to go. I don't know what the angel is going to say, but I can imagine him saying, why don't you tell me something I don't already know? I know you don't deserve it, but your name is written in Jesus' book by Jesus' blood. You're coming with me. Is that good news? And you see... There's a text in the Old Testament that says, Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. Now, when I see a good person die, you feel bad. And that's natural. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. But in the book of Psalms, God prompted David to say, Blessed in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. Here's John the Baptist. We feel sorry for John the Baptist. He's got his head cut off. That's a quick way to die. That's not quite as good as dying in your sleep, but it, you know, it's quick. What's the very next thing John the Baptist is going to know? Jesus is here. Head back on. Going to heaven. Right? Not in jail anymore. I visited a lady in the hospital one time, and she'd had a stroke, and the only thing she could move was her eyeballs. So it was a one sided conversation. And I visited with her, to her. I read her two hours of the Bible, and then I said, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray that God will come and touch you and heal you because we need you back in the Dorcas. She was the Dorcas Society leader. But I said, if God answers my prayer the way I want him to, I've got bad news for you. You will wake up. Oh, if he answers my prayer and heals you, you'll wake up tomorrow morning healed, but you'll still be 75. However, I said, if God doesn't answer my prayer the way I want him to, and he answers it a different way, and in the night, rather than touching you and heal you, you have another stroke and you die, I've got good news for you. You will wake up. It'll seem like tomorrow morning, but you won't be 75 anymore. And you see, God wants you to walk through your life rejoicing. Saying, I have no desire to take my life. I have no desire to commit suicide. Because I have so much fun sharing good news with other people. But if it's in God's plan and God's will that I die, that's okay too. Because when I die, the next thing I know is Jesus be here. And I go to heaven. Is that good or bad? How many can see that this is a faithful saying? And these things, God says, I want you to affirm how often? Constantly, so that those who have believed in God will be careful to maintain good works. The last phrase of Titus three eight says, "These things are good and profitable unto man." It's the only way I know to get victory over sin. It's the only way I know. Doesn't the Bible says we're going to be judged by even our thoughts? Doesn't it say that? You think how in the world can I? Con- I'm having a hard enough time controlling my actions. Even sometimes stuff blurts out of my mouth. But how in the world can I control my thoughts? And I said this to Sabbath school class. There was a song years ago that says you can't go to jail for what you're thinking. But you can go to the place that rhymes with jail for what you're thinking. And you say, well, how in the world can I quit thinking that? You do what it says in Titus chapter 3, 3 through 8. This is a faithful saying. And affirm these things how often? Constantly. Constantly. And if you're thinking these things and affirming these things constantly, Satan's going to come to put his temptation, his thoughts in your head. And there's going to be a big old no vacancy sign there. My mind is full of the joy of the Lord. Why should I want to spend any time thinking about what Satan wants me to do? Amen? Now I'm going to give you those eight points from Titus 3, verses 3 through 8 right now. And I can guarantee you one thing. If I stay here very long as your pastor, you're going to have Titus 3, verses 3 through 8 memorized. You know Why? Because verse 8 says I should affirm it how often? Constantly. So if I want to preach it every time I'm in the pulpit, it's, it's biblical. Now I'm not going to because I got a wife who keeps me on the straight and narrow. But I want you to memorize Titus 3 verses 3 through 8 because this is the outline of the gospel. And when I'm here next time, I'm going to tell you a story about a lady I give this Bible story to who thought she was the worst sinner in the world. Now, here's the eight points that I want you to get out of this. Point number one. We're all sinners. Point number two, Jesus loves sinners. Point number three, he saves sinners. Not because they quit sinning. Not because they're good. He saves them because he has mercy. Point number four, he gives them the Holy Spirit to give them the new heart and to be their companion. Point number five, he accepts you as though you had never sinned. You're just as if you had never sinned. Point six, he's going to treat you good even when you deserve to be treated bad. Point seven, I'm his child. Point eight, eternal life is mine because it's a gift and he gives it to me. And as I rejoice in that gift of eternal life, it occupies my mind with so much joy and gratitude that Satan loses his power to tempt me anymore. Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus in heaven, you tell us plainly here. Affirm these things constantly. Constantly. So that we will have the strength to do and be the kind of person that otherwise we could never be. We couldn't dream what we would be like. But Jesus, the Bible says in 1 John 3:3, every man that has his hope in him purifies himself, even as Christ himself is pure. Dear Father in heaven, our opening hymn this morning said, holy thine, holy thine. That's why we come to this place, because we want to be holy thine. And the only thing that we as human beings can do to give ourselves to you is to fill our minds with your good news. Rejoice in it always. And then we can become like Jesus, and we won't even know that we are because we'll just be thinking, look what Jesus has done for me. This is my prayer for us all this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Jesus, thank you for the experience that the writer of this song had in you. And, Father, I pray that you'll help everyone who hears my voice today to have that same experience so they can grow through their life affirming constantly, I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and his child forever I am. Help us know, Father, that when we rejoice in this beautiful thought, we become like Jesus. Because the Bible says, by beholding, we become changed. Amen.